chapter 17. Uh, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel um, who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, and he'd done year, uh, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So here we have Hosea, the new king of Israel, and like all the other previous 18 kings of Israel, he was wicked, but not as bad as some of them. And uh, as Assyria is beginning to come and conquer uh, over the northern tribes of Israel, uh, you know, as was often the custom, you know, a king would try and buy his way out of war or out of captivity. And so he tried that for a little while. Now, it's just kind of sad to see, you know, as always, these kings paying off, you know, and and trusting in their flesh and trusting in um, their commodities to bring them deliverance from the world when all throughout the Old Testament, all the Lord wanted was for them to trust in him. In fact, Hosea means deliverance. And so, you know, this king wasn't even living up to his name of, you know, crying out for deliverance from the Lord. But, uh, and, and as he was paying this tribute money year by year, you know, one time, you know, he, he, he tried to get help from Egypt in kind of an undercover plot and he got caught red-handed. And it just kind of reminded me of a story of my, my Aunt Diane in Klamath Falls. My Aunt Diane's the one that passed away just about two months ago. And uh, when we lived in Klamath Falls, uh, this was probably in the early 90s, she went out into her yard and was looking at her flowers and doing some gardening and came across a little dead sparrow. And, uh, you know, so she got her garden glove and picked it up by the little stiff legs and you know instead of i don't know putting it in a garbage bag and tossing it away or burying a little hole i don't know uh she walked over to the neighbor's fence and dropped it over uh into the neighbor's fence and then as she kind of looked to see where it went she noticed that the neighbor was also checking his flowers and had watched the whole thing go down had watched her drop this dead bird in his yard and her response was whoops And uh, basically what we've got going on here is Hosea gets caught red-handed trying to get, you know, in this little scheme, trying to get the king of Egypt to come up and deliver them from the king of Assyria, and he gets caught, and just a, a very sheepish, whoops, <laughs> you know, I mean, what do you say? Darn, I got caught, basically. But, um, and so, uh, verse 5, now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. So remember, Samaria is the capital of Israel. And this three-year siege that goes on. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, uh, took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of the Medes. So uh, last week, we saw the first wave of the Assyrian captivity. That was in chapter uh, 15 when Paul or Tiglath-Pileser was the king's name, came and, and led away a portion of Israel off into uh, Assyria. And now it's 10 years later and we've got 
Shalmanazar, it's 722 BC, which write that in the margin of your Bible. This is a very important date in the nation of Israel because this is the time when Israel is being led away captive. You know, all that this, these last two books have been about, first and second Kings, have been explaining why Israel and Judah went into captivity. And so uh, here in chapter 17, we're going to see just an in-depth reasoning of why they're going into captivity. But here it is, the reason for the books, uh, the captivity. And so we're in, it, it's 722 BC. The rest of the nation is taken out of the promised land. In fact, Leviticus 18 tells us what's happening here is that the land is actually vomiting out Israel. And, and we mentioned this before, but you know, the Lord told and warned Israel as they went into the promised land that the Canaanites and all those peoples that lived in the promised land were so wicked with their child sacrifices and their sexual immorality and their paganism and their incest that it was disgusting to the Lord and it was disgusting to this beautiful land that God had a purpose for that those nations of the Canaanites were vomited out. Just very graphic picture of God's heart here. And, uh, and he says, I'm warning you, if you fall into these same sins, you're going to be vomited out. And so here we see, you know, about, uh, you know, I can't remember. I don't know what we're at here. You know, a couple thousand years or something later, um, this vomiting taking place as, as Assyria comes and just thrusts out um, Israel out of the land. And so um, 136 years from now, Judah will experience the same thing. And, you know, as we've been studying Judah, they've been having their little good king run and then a bad few bad kings and then a good king. And, you know, and, and they kind of bought 136 years from having a few good kings. So it'll be 136 years later before they are thrust out of the land. And uh, verse 7, so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. So the reason they're being thrust out in this whole chapter is it's the reason. It's the cause of their captivity. And so we see here already in verse 7 that they, they've sinned against God's love and against God's faithfulness. You know, And God always kind of takes them back to their time in Egypt and you know, he tries to get them to remember. Don't you remember when I, with my strong arm, brought you up out of Egypt? Don't you remember you were slaves? Don't you remember that Pharaoh dealt harshly with you? He made you bake bricks and use your feet to mix the mortar. Don't you remember how strong I was bringing you out and I brought you across the Red Sea and I provided the manna and I provided the water? Don't you remember? And they just constantly were forgetting that faithful hand of the Lord. And so, you know, they, they sinned against God's love. They sinned against his faithfulness. And they began fearing these other gods, these false gods, these nobodies. And uh, verse 8, and, and uh, they'd walked in all the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out or vomited out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they'd made. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against uh, the Lord their God, things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower to fortified cities. So you might just underline that, that the Israelites secretly did these things. 
Now, in their mind, they were doing them secretly, but we know that before the Lord, nothing is done in secret. I mean, you remember just a few chapters ago, uh, Syria was trying to attack Israel, and uh, Elijah would always tell them uh, the, the battle plan of the Syrians. And so, you know, the, the servant ended up saying to the Ben-Hadad, you know, this prophet of Israel knows what you're saying to your wife in, in your bedroom at night. There's nothing that's secret to the Lord. He knows everything. And, you know, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, there's no creature, that includes you, some of you are creatures. <laughs> uh, I meant that as a total compliment. Uh, there's no creature hidden from his sight. You know, it goes on to say, all things are naked and open before the Lord, you know, to whom we must give account. So everything that we do is seen by the Lord. And, uh, you know, we've often been threatened as Christians that one day we're going to get to God and he's going to put some sort of TV screen on our head. And, you know, everyone in heaven is going to watch what we've done, you know, the, the good and the bad. And I don't believe that that is biblical, but the Lord does know everything we've done and we will receive a reward for everything we've done whether good or bad but uh you know but the lord does know what we've done it's as if you had a tv screen with everything you've done everything is naked there's vulnerability before the lord it's open before his sight you know and and it says in proverbs that the lord tests the hearts too you know he knows if a man is fake or phony or just offering up lip service and telling you what you want to hear uh, he tests the hearts. And uh, so they secretly uh, were in sin, building these places for um, idols and, and things. In verse 10, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things, to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So the Lord raised up these men, these awesome men, these prophets. And let's go ahead and go to, um, it's actually the, the, well, let's go to the first slide real quick. There, Dakota, I think I, I skipped you there. Uh, right now, we've got just a picture of, of Assyria coming in. Um, remember, uh, the, the beige colors, uh, when chapter 15, Tiglath-Pileser came down, started raising, raiding the northern part of Israel and carrying all the people away back up towards Nineveh, Hamath on the left there, Gozum up there, um, and then, uh, uh, excuse me, Shalmanazar and uh, Sennacherib, they're going to also, so this is just something to keep in mind, this is kind of the area where we're at. Um, the next slide, uh, so the Lord, oh, that's totally unreadable, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, the Lord basically sent prophets, and I know you guys know about the prophets in your Bible, you've got you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, you know, all these guys that most of you don't have a clue who these guys were. Um, and uh, I don't blame you. It's kind of confusing if you don't have an understanding of the kings like we've been studying. But um, the purple in the middle, you've got the prophets. And uh, on the left side, you've got Israel, kind of like our chart we've been using, all the kings of Israel. 
Um, and on the left purple, you've got Elijah, Elisha, Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea. All these guys were prophets to Israel. On the left, you've got Obadiah, Isaiah, and Micah there by Isaiah, and uh, Zephaniah, um, Habakkuk, uh, Nahum, <laughs> Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these guys that were prophets to the right side, to Judah. You know, the Lord had these prophets to these men, but they wouldn't hear them. They would persecute them. And, uh, and so that's one reason they're being cast out is these holy men of God would come and they would be brave and be prophets, um, but they would be persecuted. The kings wouldn't listen. And so uh, we can go ahead and uh, just pop back to that last slide there, Dakota, and kind of just kind of keep that up for just a, a hair here. Um, so... Verse 14, nevertheless, they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. So that's just something all throughout Scripture. These men that wouldn't hear the prophets, they were always called stiff-necked. In fact, when Stephen is giving his defense before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, he rebukes the Sanhedrin, this group of Jews, this group of you know, religious leaders, and he says, you probably know it, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And that's a big insult to these guys. You know, not only were they stiff-necked, but he called them uncircumcised, which to a Jew was like taking off your glove and slapping the guy in the face with it, you know. And he says, you might be circumcised physically, but your heart is uncircumcised. You are nothing but flesh, man, and you need the Lord to come and take the flesh away. And, and you're resisting the Holy Spirit, just like your fathers did. Nehemiah chapter 9 says, not only were these Jews stiff-necked, you know, and we've all been stiff-necked, you know, we all know people who are stiff-necked. And if you have kids, you're like, how is my child so stiff-necked? You know, I'm chastening him, I'm disciplining him, you know, throws a fit or he mouths off. It never works out good for him. I don't know why he thinks this will be a good idea to go back to mouthing off or throwing a fit. But they, you know, stiff neck, unwilling to yield the rebellion that we have in our sinful nature. <clears throat> in Nehemiah chapter 9 says, not only were they stiff necked, but they'd shrug their shoulders. They'd shrug their shoulders. Like, I don't care. And have you ever been in, in a, in a, intense fellowship with somebody maybe you want to call it an argument maybe you want to call it intense fellowship and and the person starts saying whatever whatever you know teenage you know if you have teenage kids and uh you know or husbands that act like teenagers you know and 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 the only way that we respond is instead of having something useful to contribute to the dialogue we whatever you know that's shrugging your shoulders and so as these prophets would come and they'd say repent Turn from your idols, destroy the high places, break down the wooden images. These kings and these people would just say, whatever, no big deal, whatever, you know, God's not going to punish us or, you know, he hasn't done anything yet. It's like, what's your deal, man? You are so stiff necked. And uh, they wouldn't listen to these prophets. Uh, You know, they did not believe in the Lord their God. Verse 15, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he'd made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters. They went after the nations that are all around them, concerning whom the Lord charged them. They should not do like them. How many times have we read that? You know, they're, they're doing what those nations before them did. Uh, so they left all the commandments of the Lord their God 
made for themselves a molded image and two calves, you know, referring to Jeroboam and the, the idols that he set up in Dan and Bethel, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. In other words, they did child sacrifice. And just last week, we read about wicked King Ahaz. A uh, good way to remember that he's wicked is King Ahab was wicked and King Ahaz is wicked. So both those guys, they sound alike and they act alike. Uh, they did these child sacrifices, practiced witchcraft, soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. So he, he's removed. He's angry. You know, the Lord is patient. The Lord is long-suffering. But he's also just. He's also righteous. So for him to continue to let this go would be uh, to compromise his justice. They needed to be chastened. They needed to be disciplined. And so the Lord led them away so that only Judah was left. In verse 19, and then even Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of the plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them. Remember, 19 kings of Israel and every one of them did the same idol worshiping sin that the first king of Israel, Jeroboam, did. Verse 22, for the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam they did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So now when you go and you read the prophets, you read the major prophets, you read, read, read the minor prophets, you'll probably have much, a much better understanding of what was going on. You'll have an understanding about Egypt. You'll have an understanding about Assyria and Syria. You'll have an understanding about, you know, Isaiah chapter six and the in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And you'll be able to say, Uzziah, we studied Uzziah, you know, uh, back in 2 Kings chapter, what was it, 16, you know. Uh, going back, you guys will be able to understand the prophets now and start developing teeth to chew the meat of the word. And I'll tell you, the prophets are the meat of the word, you know. That's, that's some, you know, talk, talk about jaw issues, you know. You're going to have jaw issues after chewing on the steak of the prophets, you know. And, and just getting, and it's a good thing. Steak is good. It may, protein in the muscles it makes you good, good and strong. And uh, verse 24, and we're just kind of breezing through this because this is just really, it's a review from all that we've studied. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from uh, Sepharavim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria, the capital of Samaria area, instead of the children of Israel. And they took possessions of Samaria and dwelt uh, in its cities. So uh, what we have now, we're going to read about this a lot in the next two chapters is that the people of Samaria and of Israel are taken up and they're spread out all throughout um, Assyria, okay? But also, he takes uh, people from Assyria, the king does, from Babylon and all over, and takes them down and starts filtering them down into Israel. And what that does is this. 
don't know, some of you probably moved a lot in your life. You know, I see a guy who was in the Air Force. No doubt they moved around a lot. But if you've moved around a lot, then you know when you first move to a new town, there's just this insecurity stage. You know, there's this, man, I had it last summer, I'll tell you. you know? <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, you know, there's this, you know, especially if you move to a place where they speak another language, you know, it's a whole other culture. You know, if you go to Brazil or to Hungary, you know, we do signs here like, hey, good job, dude. And it means something totally different in Hungary, you know, or you do a little snappy trick that we do here in America. The youth do it here. And in Brazil, it's just, no, it's like flipping somebody off, you know. And so you're learning the culture. It's hard. It's awkward. And so what, what the king would do is he spread all Israel. That They were always together. They always worshiped the same and all of that. And they went all throughout Assyria and they're in towns where people don't speak their language they don't worship their old god and you know gods or whatever and it was just this there was disunity all throughout israel now and so the king was very wise in doing that because there was no unity to to raise up an army or to fight back or anything like that they couldn't have two years to get strong and then fight against no once they were spread out like that you know it was over for israel it was all over for israel so uh there's really this um, what do they call it? Boiling pot or what do they call it? Is that a boiling pot? Melting pot. Thank you. <laughs> Bread basket. I don't know. Uh, that's what it was there. Um, verse 25. And so it was the beginning of their dwelling that they did not. So now we're speaking of all these nations that came down and live in Israel. Now, as they came to dwell there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. This is the Ghost in the Darkness movie with Brad Pitt, you know, all over again. Or Val Kilmer, I guess it is. You know, um, Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer, the lion sneaking into the camp and dragging people off. Not that I've seen that movie. Um, Might be our next film in Faith Night. See what happens when you disobey God? Okay. Um, So these lions come in and kill these guys. So they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, the nations whom you've removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them, and indeed they're killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Well, send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Any red flags there for anybody? What we have here is the blind leading the blind. They took these priests that just got vomited out of their land for idol worship and not following after the Lord and brought them back into the land of Israel, the land of Samaria again, to try and teach them how to half-heartedly, lukewarmly follow the Lord. You know, and uh, it's just blindness leading, you know, or the blind leading the blind. It, it, uh, it ends up perhaps stopping the lions, but definitely isn't like a good, oh, we're back, the Jews are back, and we're given Israel again. That's not at all what has happened here. Um, it's basically just, you know, paganism just being brought in under the guise of, of ecumenicalism there. And um, verse 29, however, every nation continued to make gods of its own. So the priest comes down, but they just, you know, they just keep in full-blown idolatry and put them in the shrines on the high places, which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth, Beneth. The men of Cuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Asma. <laughs> and the Evites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sheprovites burned their children in fire. 
to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvim. So the fear of the Lord, and from every class, they, oh, so they feared the Lord. And from every class, they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet they served their own gods. So you might underline that. They feared the Lord, yet they served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among they were carried away. To this day, they continued practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law or the command which the Lord commanded the children of Israel, whom he named Israel. So, you know, he keeps saying here that, and they feared the Lord. But really, you could put that in quotes. It's, it's sarcasm. It's, oh, and they feared the Lord. And then he goes on to say, they didn't fear the Lord. It wasn't true fear of the Lord. Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. And these guys are burning their children in child sacrifice. They're serving these gods that are the false gods that have always been in that land. They did not fear the Lord. And you're lying to yourself if you say you fear the Lord, you have a relationship with God, but you continue, as it says here, to serve your own God. And like we studied last week with King Ahaz, it will be your downfall. It was Ahaz's downfall. It will be your downfall. It will be my downfall. If we continue to serve God's false gods, but have this disguise of I'm a Christian and I fear the Lord. And, and, you know, something else we see here is this kind of ecumenical movement similar to like a Unitarian church, you know, or uh, what's happening now throughout, you know, throughout all, all the world it's happening, but all of these religions coming together saying, oh, you just believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. And it's all good. And we're all children of the world. And let's hold hands across America with Michael Jackson, you know, and sing a little song and we're all good. No. We are not all good. There is one God and there is one name under heaven by which man must be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. Nobody else. It is a lie from hell to get together in the name of religion, you know, just for the sake of having community and unity. Unity is great, but we have to have unity based upon the principles that are in the Bible. You know, in the essentials, we must have unity. In the non-essentials, there's grace, okay? But in the essentials, who Jesus is, the Trinity, what the Bible is, you know, the resurrection, you know, the truths that are in the Scripture, you know, we cannot budge. And, and there was budging here. There was compromise. There was, oh, come and do your little things so the lions don't get you, but then go serve, uh, you know, Marduk and all these guys, all these false gods. And, and so, uh, oops, flipped back there. Um, verse 36, you know, but the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. You might underline that. Him, him, him. Isaiah tells us, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not serve, or excuse me, and I will not share my glory with another. There's not multiple gods. There's one God. I am the Lord. I am he, and I will not share my glory with another. And the statutes and the ordinances, the law, the commandments, which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I've made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. 
Um, but the Lord your God sh- you shall fear, and He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. Now, underline their children and their children's children have continued doing this, okay? Because this is kind of a special section of the chapter because we're introduced here, we're introduced here to this mixture of pagans and partial Israelites. They're half Jew, half pagan, kind of this breed that kind of begins right there. Uh, they're lukewarm and they're compromising, but we're, these, these people, we're introduced to them in this chapter and they're called the Samaritans. Okay, this is the beginning of uh, the Samaritans, and, and we read about them there in verse 29. That's the first mention of them. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we'll see them, you know, even in the New Testament, we'll see the children and the children's children of these people. We'll see Jesus encounters them. In fact, just flip over to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadily set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Uh, But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So the Samaritans, they wouldn't receive Jesus because he was going to Jerusalem. The the Samaritans and the Jews were fighting. They hated each other, you know, as the VeggieTales movie shows us, they threw pots and shoes at each other. That's just what VeggieTales shows us. You know, you can take it to the bank. But, uh, you know, there was this hatred there. And when they found out Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they didn't receive him. And the sons of thunder were like, hey, should we call down fire and get rid of these, these half-breeds, you know, get rid of the Samaritans here? And I love that verse uh, 55, it says, he turned and he rebuked them. They were corrected for this. And he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So something cool that we see here is that Jesus came not only to save the Jews, but to save the Gentiles and to save the pagans, to save us from our sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's this thread of the Lord encouraging the Jews and telling them that their mission was to save the Gentiles. But rather than being missionaries to the Gentiles, they got prideful and puffed up and hated the Gentiles. And if they brushed up against a Gentile, they'd go burn their clothes and, you know, declare themselves to be unclean. When the whole time the Lord had chosen the Jews to be these awesome missionaries for him. And now it's us, it's we who are the missionaries to the Jews uh, and our lives with Christ are to be so fervently in love with Jesus that they would be jealous about our relationship with God. Now we're the missionaries to the Jews. And, um, and, uh, and one day all Israel will be saved. But the Lord came not to destroy and wipe out um, the pagans, but to save them, to save them from their sin. And so that's one time we see the Samaritans. Uh, and then in John chapter 4, just flip over there, we see the Samaritans when Jesus is talking uh, with the woman at the well. And uh, while you're flipping there, I'm reminded, 
found a movie this week, uh, just a, another Jesus movie, but it's been good so far. We've been watching it with Russell before he goes to bed, and it's called The Gospel of John, and uh, a good one. You might want to check it out and watch it with your family. So far, it seems to be pretty good. I'm only halfway through, though, but the reason I mentioned that is because it was cool to read this and then to watch him interact with the Samaritan woman and just be like, oh, this is interesting. Um, verse 20 there of John chapter 4, you know, he, he's talking with this woman, uh, he confronts her about her sin, and then she kind of gets around the subject real quick. And in verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she said. Mount Gerizim is what it was. Our fathers, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you, uh, when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So now do you guys kind of understand? You worship what you do not know. See, the Samaritans, they didn't know what they worshiped. They had this hodgepodge of, you know, a little bit of old Baal, a little bit of Ashtoreth, you know, a little bit of uh, Marduk, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of Judaism mingled in there, and some of them had some Jewish blood. And he says, you guys don't even know what you worship. You know, you're, you're the Unitarian of the day. But one day, we're going to worship uh, not in Jerusalem, not up here on Mount Gerizim. In verse uh, 23, the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So there's not this hodgepodge of do whatever you want when you come into the sanctuary of the Lord to worship Him. We worship Him according to how the Word tells us we're to worship Him. In spirit and in truth, not just whatever we want. We've touched on that before. But then flip to verse, uh, just jump over to verse 28. It says that the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So just neat to see this woman, this Samaritan woman, excited about Jesus. Is this the Messiah? Then all, and it's just cool in this movie, once you have this background of what Samaria is, to see all of these Samaritans rushing and running to Jesus. Because in the movie, and as you read the, obviously the Gospels, you know, as the Jews are walking around, they've got the little, um, you know, they've got the garments with the hems on it. They've got the phylacteries. They've got the prayer shawls. And they're walking around. But then when he comes to the village of the Samaritans, they're just, they look like total Gentiles, you know. And it's cool to watch them running to Jesus and to see this revival happen in this village. In verse 39, uh, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days uh, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves had heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ. And then you might just catch this, the savior of the world. How neat to see these Samaritans, this hodgepodge group, the motley crew, the pagan half Jews, you know, and, and they're coming to Jesus, recognizing that he didn't come to call down fire on them. He came to save them. 
And here there's this revival that takes place. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the key verse of the book of Acts, Jesus says that when, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we'll receive power to be witnesses. And he says, in Judea, and then where? In Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So in Samaria, you're called to that place that back in 2 Kings chapter 17, that hodgepodge group were called there. You know, we're called to the areas of, uh, you know, <clears throat> I used to make the joke sweet home, you know, when I lived in Corvallis, because <laughs> sweet home was the, the joke. Um, and I don't know what it is around here that we're called to. Um, I don't know. You guys probably know. <laughs> you know, we're called to those, the, the area with the ragtag bunch of folk that need Jesus, because he came to save the whole world. You know, Jesus also refers to the good Samaritan as the, as the example there. And then he also says that the, the story of the, the 10 lepers that he held, past tense of healed, held, <laughs> he healed them. Uh, one of them came back and thanked him and he was a Samaritan. So kind of need to get the history of the Samaritans, right? Hopefully, um, hopefully you got all that. Um, chapter 18, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. So here we have King Hezekiah. And, uh, you know, today we judge things, you know, by giving them, you know, a certain number of stars out of five, right? You know, you go to a hotel, it's a five-star hotel. You go to a restaurant, five-star restaurant. You know, you, you uh, want to go see a movie. You know, nowadays you go to RottenTomatoes.com and it either has like five fresh tomatoes or five rotten tomatoes, you know. But, you know, five-star you know, if you buy something off of eBay, you can see if you're buying from a good seller because they have five stars or if the buyer is good, they have five stars. You know, five stars is, is good. Five stars is golden. And here we come upon Hezekiah, who uh, five-star king. You know, we've been given the king stars if they're good. And here we have a guy that five stars, you know, uh, we can go ahead and just hop to the next slide, uh, the slides of the kings there. Um, you know, definite, good, solid, golden star by this guy's name on the right there, right bottom. This king of Judah, awesome guy. Now, it's, it's incredible, not only that this guy was a great king, but it's incredible that he's even alive, okay? Last week, we studied about his dad, Ahaz, wicked king Ahaz, and how Ahaz um, sacrificed his children to false gods. Multiple children of this King Ahaz were burnt in that burning bowl of bronze. And so it's a miracle that they even had any offspring and that Hezekiah was spared. So the fact that he's alive is a miracle. The fact that he's a five-star king is an incredible miracle because his dad was a total pagan. His dad was wicked. His dad was one of the most wicked kings that Judah ever had. And any of you men out there that are good, uh, you know, good Christians, you love Jesus. Uh, any of you out there, your dad's not a Christian. Anybody out there? Maybe you wouldn't say he's the most wicked man that ever lived, but you know, some of you might, oh yeah, mine was, you know, uh, it's incredible how the Lord's grace is that you're here tonight, you know, that you're here, you've got your family here, you've got your Bible open on your lap. God's grace, you know, that he went out and he saved to the uttermost. He went into the home that had no hope, and he got you here, and he saved you. He saved the Savior of the world he is. So 
we have this, uh, this guy whose dad was a total pagan. Remember, he paid tribute to the Assyrian king, and he brought a false altar into the temple, and he started cutting up all the pieces of the temple and molding them into false places to worship. Just completely destroyed uh, Solomon's temple just in a, in a horrible way. And here we have this Hezekiah, the gold star that just, he, he shines. Incredible light there in, in Judah. Um, verse 3, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Isn't that incredible to read? Because we've read, you know, we've got Jotham, we've got Jehoshaphat, we've got Asa. And, you know, they had these bright spots. Jehoshaphat was awesome. We love Jehoshaphat. But, you know, guys like Jotham or guys like Asa, you know, they were good, but they'd kind of, they, they showed this fleshly side too that, you know, oh, bummer that he had that part in his life. But here we just have this just incredible, all that David did, all that the, the guy up at the top there did, the man that was the standard all throughout the kings, you know, Hezekiah lived up to. Verse 4, he removed the high places. He broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and call it Nehushtan. Okay? Can you picture the sound or can you hear this? Can you picture the sound of clay breaking, wood smashing, hatchets chopping, things falling and crashing and snapping and breaking and when these things would fall and break, men would rejoice that these pagan areas would be destroyed and burned. It's, it's a sign of revival, you know, when a nation, when a town, when a person will tear down the false idols and burn these things. Uh, Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, I think it is, uh, they burned all of their books of witchcraft. And, uh, and this revival happened. The whole city was saved. Uh, I just heard a story a couple weeks ago of, of a man that's been coming to church here got saved living out at um, Wayne Bobbitt's house uh, and, and burned all of his witchcraft books out there after he got baptized. He burned all of these books. Just a sign of revival in a man's heart. And so uh, they broke all these things down. This, they did something, you know, this, this guy Hezekiah was so good, he, he broke and tore down this um, relic, this historical artifact that, you know, was from clear back in Moses' day. You know, I love history. I love going to museums. I love seeing the actual things that were at the actual places and being like, oh, you know, George Washington held that, you know, or sat on that, or this is where Abraham Lincoln died. I mean, this is like holy, I mean, this is like, I, I don't know, I like history. I like that stuff. But the church has taken that too. And, you know, if you, if you read about church history and um, the area of the Roman Catholic Church, they began to get very heavy into relics. And, and worshiping these things and these charms and these saints, you know, and, and it just went beyond, you know, any form of biblical worship of truth. It went to idol worship. And, and that's what happened here. There was this symbol that was an awesome symbol from the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 21, 8, the people began to complain against the Lord. And so the Lord got angry and he sent these fiery vipers uh, to come out. Um, and to start biting the people. It's crazy that we're there because last night I had a dream that our house was notorious on our block to have um, rattlesnakes living in it. And we just found that out after living there for nine months. And now I'm finding all these rattlesnakes and I'm packing my pistol around and shooting rattlesnakes. You know, and they're, uh, one bit me in the hand and I had to like 
pinch it, you know, and get, okay, anyways, interesting that I had that dream because, uh, you know, here that's exactly what was happening. These serpents coming into the camp and biting people. People were dying. People were getting sick. And so the Lord told Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who's bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, he looked at the bronze serpent and he lived. And it wasn't that they were worshiping the bronze serpent, it was that it all pointed towards Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, the context of this is that uh, Jesus is telling Nicodemus how to be born again. He says, you can't go to heaven unless you've been born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? No, go back up into my mommy's womb again. You know, how's that going to happen? And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, that which is born of water is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. And you need to have a spiritual rebirth. And then he goes on to say, and this is how to have that. In the same way that the the children of Israel looked at the fiery serpent and were saved from the venom, so you look at Jesus on on the tree and you'll be saved from the venom of sin. You'll be born again. In fact, he goes on to say, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so, you know, there was a healthy part in their history where they had this pole and it reminded them of that Savior, you know, this, this, that time that the Lord saved them from the venom. But now it had become, you know, carnality. It had become idol worship. And they called it the bronze thing, the bronze thing. And they began to worship the bronze thing. And so Hezekiah was very brave and he said, I don't care about historical artifacts. I don't care that Moses held it. I don't care that Moses had anything to do with this thing. It's people are worshiping it and it's got to go, you know, and we got to be sensitive to that stuff today in the church as we have movies with Jesus and I'm watching it with Russell. I'm explaining to him, that's not Jesus. Don't worship the man on the screen or the passion of the Christ guy, Jim Gaviezel, you know, or, or as we have the, um, you know, kind of the new worship we did on Sunday where Jesus is there, you know, we're not worshiping that Jesus. That is not our God. We're worshiping, you know, the Jesus of the Bible, you know. Uh, we're not worshiping the relic. We're not worshiping the, um, the image, you know. When we sing about at the cross, you beckon me and we lift up our hands. We're not worshiping the cross, but we're praising God for the act that he did on the cross where he died for our sins. So we have to caution ourselves. We have to, you know, make sure that we're, you know, worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth and not lifting up these things to a place of um, idolatry. And so uh, it's interesting, though, as you look at churches from the Catholic day, if you go to Europe, these churches that have been built before the Reformation period, there's statues of saints everywhere. And, and saints, uh, these statues will have their toes worn off from kissing that has happened and feet worn off from all the kissing and the worship that's happened to these saints. Then you go to churches that were built during the Reformation period and they're bare. There's no statues. There's no pictures of the disciples on the walls because they went the opposite and they said, we don't want to have anything that's going to cause any sort of stumbling block and idol worship to be put into place. And so, uh, so he, he tore these things down. He broke the bronze serpent and, uh, one sec here. I don't think we're going to finish the chapter, but let me just figure out where we are going to go. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 5. And man, I hope your Bible's getting underlined like crazy here. There's so much good stuff here, so much examples. 
for us. You know, I want to be like Hezekiah. You know, my mom, um, you know, Hezekiah was kind of her swear word, swear word as a good Christian. I don't think she'd know what she was saying. She'd hit her hand with a, a hammer. Hezekiah! You know, I'm like, I do not think, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Um, but, uh, you know, so, verse 5, Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. What an incredible description of this man. You know, there's a lot of boys these days being named Josiah. You know, not a lot of boys being named Hezekiah. It's too bad he's got kind of a funky name, you know. But what an incredible guy, you know, that, that you would want to name your son after. You can name him Zeke, you know. Hey, Zekiah. Um, but he trusted in the Lord. There was nobody else like him. And all that list of kings up to Rehoboam, there was no king like him. Uh, verse 6, for he held fast to the Lord. Uh, he, he held fast, or he, uh, different translations say he clung to the Lord, or he followed hard after the Lord and pursued the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. And you know, that's the covenant that the Lord had made with Solomon. It's the covenant that he made with Jeroboam on the left up there. You know, if, if you keep these statutes, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And Hezekiah kept the statutes, and the Lord was with him. And he prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. His dad, Ahaz, started paying off the king of Assyria and was his uh, little subject. And he says, why would I be a subject? My God's the God that created this whole world. You know, they're going to be subject to me, just like the Lord said. Uh, when we came into the land and, and he did not serve him and he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. And uh, it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmanazar, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, in the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, it was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Halah and by Habor, uh, the river of Gozan, the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all the Medes. And all the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they would neither hear nor do them. And so uh, we'll end there tonight. We'll start off in verse 13, go through chapter 19. It kind of ties together that way. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.